BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Prince Harry's first lover tells her story. Kate Middleton is under pressure over her life's work and Samantha Markle's lawsuit against Meghan could be about to get messy. I'm Jack Royston, Newsweek's Chief Royal Correspondent, and this is Newsweek's Royal Report. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the show. Now, the fallout from Harry's book Spare has been continuing, and honestly, my main take-home at this point is just that this has become such a topsy-turvy world compared to the way we all viewed the royal family back in kind of 2016, 17, 19, all the rest of it, before Harry and Meghan left, basically. So what's happened this week is a former groom from King Charles III stables at Highgrove has come forward to say that she is in fact the horse-loving woman that Harry said he lost his virginity to in spare. Now, if you've read the book, you might remember this. He says that they got drunk at a pub and then they nipped out into a field for a cigarette and one thing led to another and that was how he lost his virginity. He said it was an inglorious affair. Um, but he didn't name the woman. So what's happened now is that woman has come forward and she's given her story to the Sun and the Mail on Sunday. So two newspapers that are not particularly in Harry's good books. And um, she's been all over the TV as well. And it's been a big story in Britain. Now, one thing that this has reminded me of is that you kind of don't usually get these big Sunday sex scandal exclusives anymore in Britain. It kind of went very hard out of fashion when privacy law was uh, beefed up, basically, by a ruling by a judge. I think it, it dates back to about 2008. There was a big ruling in a lawsuit brought by a man called Max Mosley. It's all very complicated and relates to um, a bizarre subject, which is Nazi-themed or alleged Nazi-themed orgies, which the court ultimately ruled were, in fact, nothing to do with the Nazis. But uh, leaving the weeds somewhat to one side, basically the take-home is that in Britain, if you want to write a story about a public figure or celebrity's private life, then you need to have a really strong public interest justification. Um, The right to a private life is considered to trump the right to freedom of speech, unless you can demonstrate that there's a reason why you kind of really need to do this story. So the absolute first basic question is, does this celebrity, uh, is, is this celebrity married? Have they cheated on their partner? And are they trading off their family life? So if this person is somebody who presents themselves publicly as a family man, um, you know, is photographed alongside their children in magazines and that kind of thing, and is selling themselves as somebody who believes in family, but secretly behind closed doors is cheating on their wife, then that could be viewed as a public interest justification for doing the story. Needless to say, any newspapers who want to do it would still need to be ready to go to court to defend themselves because celebrities are entitled to to apply for privacy injunctions that ban publication of these stories. So the um, the thing that really struck me about all this, seeing these this kind of story about Harry losing his virginity on the front page of the, of the Sun and the Mail on Sundays, it just it really felt to a fr- as like a throwback to the era before 
um, these kind of privacy laws were, were toughened up. And I suppose the reason why these stories have been able to run is because Harry told the story in spare. Um, now, I don't actually think Harry would care that Sasha Walpole has come out to tell her story, but I think what he might care about is the fact that these two newspapers that he hates so much are making money out of his sex life. Um, so he has sued the Mail on Sunday four times between him and Meghan, and he has an ongoing lawsuit, which has, in fairness, kind of dipped and gone a bit quiet over the last couple of years, but he has a lawsuit still, technically, against News UK, the publisher of The Sun, um, who he has accused of phone hacking. So, yeah, I mean, given everything he's written and spare about how much he hates the media, I would imagine that he is not particularly keen on the fact that all of this is going on, or at least not through those newspapers. But it's just, for me, it's the law of unintended consequences. You know, you can decide to um, fiercely defend your privacy, and he has every right to, but if you start to pull that privacy, if you pull the curtain back um, and trade off your private life, then there will always be unintended consequences that arise from it. And for me, that's what is happening here. This is a situation where, you know, ordinarily, actually, people are quite scathing about women who sell their stories to the papers. And it's hard to say with total certainty that Sasha Walpole has sold her story. But there are, you know, figures flying around. I heard £50,000 floating around as an amount of money that supposedly she had been paid for these stories. I have no idea whether that's correct or not. But um, obviously, had she asked for money, these are two newspapers who would have willingly paid her. Um, And society has often taken a dim view of women who sell their stories, particularly in relation to sexual encounters with famous men. Um, They are often pilloried in terms that, in all honesty, can sometimes veer into sexism. But with Sasha Walpole, it's really difficult to see how anyone can complain. I mean, Harry already told the story. He's identified himself in relation to it. He didn't identify her, but she presumably has every right to tell her side of it if he's going to tell his. And obviously, he did make money out of the book. So what really is the difference between her selling his story and him selling his memoir? I can't personally see any difference. So I think from Harry's point of view, this is one that he will want to just let pass him by, try not to think about too much, and I guess kind of try to put his difficult feelings about the media to one side, which actually I think is also one of my biggest take-homes from Spare, is that I completely sympathise with Harry hating the media. Uh, If I was in Harry's position, I would definitely hate the media too. Obviously, the uh, the press were linked to the death of his mother. Uh, they were not the only factor, but the paparazzi chasing Diana's car was a major factor in the cause of the crash. There are also sometimes, I think, when Harry would do really well to try to just forget about the media or at the very least find it in himself to see past the British media's role in some of the events of his life. Um, so one thing that I've heard time and time again is people saying that, uh, Harry and Meghan need to start finding some things that they can own and stuff that they can take responsibility for within their story. So basically, essentially, if you make a lot of allegations at other people and you go around telling other people that they're doing lots of things wrong, you have to also be able to see your own mistakes. If you can't see your own mistakes, then people wind up with the view that you have an axe to grind and they stop trusting you. Um, So in other words, you get to a point where admitting your mistakes doesn't damage you. Actually, not admitting them is what damages you. 
And we have had some quite big examples of that. I mean, one of the things that seems to be a recurring question that Harry gets asked is this business about whether or not he blindsided the Queen, to take one example. Um, Now, what happened there was that Harry and Meghan began, or Harry mainly, began talking to his family about his desire to leave the royal family way back in, you know, Christmas, New Year 2019. This is right before their decision was made public in the January. So um, he was asked by his father to put his plans on paper. He said he didn't want to because he feared it would leak. He did it anyway. It leaked to the sun. It wound up on the front page of the sun. And then in response to that, Harry and Meghan put their Sussex Royal website online. It contained a really detailed um, account of everything that they wanted. And in the aftermath of that, Harry was accused of blindsiding the Queen. Uh, the claim made was that he only gave her something like 15 minutes notice before the website went live. And Harry has clearly taken exception to this narrative and says that he didn't blindside her. He could never do that because he has too much respect for her. And he cites as evidence the fact that obviously he told his family previously about his plans to leave. Now, Harry has a point about some of that. The statement that he blindsided the Queen does leave open the interpretation that he never told her he wanted to leave the royal family or or to quit Britain um, and go and live in another country. And obviously he did. But there is also another side to this, which is that obviously the Queen would not have done what Harry did. She would not have put that Sussex Royal website online. She would almost certainly not have wanted Harry to do that. The Queen was definitely somebody who dealt with things behind closed doors and had only a limited amount that she would tell the public about. She was a public figure who, whose reputation was partly built around maintaining a level of enigma and mystique and mystery um, in terms of how she was viewed by the public, who never really actually knew what she really thought about things. So I think there is a legitimacy to the notion that maybe putting the website online with all of those details in a context where none of them had been agreed with the wider royal household or with other family members may have perhaps blindsided isn't the best word, but certainly may have come as a surprise to the Queen and let's just say not a particularly welcome surprise. So from my point of view, Harry is perfectly entitled to say that he thinks the word blindsided is the wrong word to use and that he doesn't think that the British media should have said that about him. But it would actively benefit him to acknowledge what I think everybody can plainly see, which is that it would not have been a welcome move in the Queen's eyes for him to suddenly make the discussion that had been private public to the world. Um, So this is an example of where if Harry can put the British media out of his mind, he might actually wind up doing better by not criticising the media, doing better by owning a mistake. Because if he can start owning more of his mistakes, then people might trust him more. Um, So just another example of a situation where Harry could stand to, to not give up his criticisms of the British media, totally fine to make them, but to try to also see past his difficult feelings about the media. All right, I'm going to take a quick break now, but before I do, just a quick reminder to rate and review The Royal Report on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favourite shows. And when I'm back, is it time for Kate to finally start taking some risks? 
This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off-limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. Now, Kate Middleton, the Princess of Wales, is surely the most straightforwardly uncontroversial of any royal family member. Charles and Camilla will always have Princess Diana's memory looming over them. Prince William has been accused of racism, which no doubt he would deny. Harry and Meghan provoke strong feelings in both directions, and the less said about Prince Andrew, the better. But is it maybe time for Kate to possibly just start taking some risks like maybe a few measured measured risks now i'll tell you why i ask because last week kate had a major drive to push her campaign to raise awareness of the importance of early years care so early years is the period from pregnancy through to about four or five years old before a child starts proper school they may be in kindergarten for some of that time or they may predominantly be homeschooled or they, yeah, they may be at home with the parents, they may be with nannies, they may be with grandparents. Obviously, different families have different setups. But what Kate is trying to do is to basically push the point to people that your brain develops faster during this phase than at any other point in your life. These experiences are some of your formative ones, and they can shape your, uh, your life trajectory for many years to come. Now, there's one slight problem here, and this is something that we've written about in Newsweek this week. and there used to be literally more than a billion pounds of funding a year for helping parents with this phase of life in Britain. Um, there was a program called Sure Start, which was about children's centres that did more than just give you somewhere to take your kids. They gave you an opportunity to get kind of health advice and healthcare at the same time and to educate your children during that time period as well. They were supposed to be like a one-stop shop that helped you address all of your kids' needs in one go. And in 2019, there was some research by the Institute for Fiscal Studies, which suggested that children who had been through a sure start at that young early years phase were less likely to be admitted to hospital between the ages of 11 and 15. So in other words, it created really lasting health benefits for these children that took them into later life. So in other words, sure start really highlighted the validity of the point that Kate is trying to make. She's absolutely right. Of course, this is a really important time in a child's life. But what can Kate possibly do that is going to rival a project that was funded by the government to the tune of well over a billion pounds? Um, you know, since that high watermark for Sure Start, which was towards the end of the kind of uh, 2005 to 2010 final term that Labour had in office before losing to the Conservative Party, you know, since then, 
there have been huge sweeping cuts across across all public services really in Britain but you know sure start has certainly been no exception budget has been slashed thousands of centres closed etc etc so what can Kate do you know what can she possibly do that's going to rival sure start is there really a need to raise awareness of the importance of this time period I mean you know I have a kid who's just past this age I'm now five years old and in school um, but it's kind of every day of your life when your child is that young you know there's no way to kind of not care about it it's what you do day in and day out um, I was talking to one expert in this field in the week who was saying that raising awareness can kind of have a slight downside to it which is that it makes middle-class parents really neurotic and I have to say that I knew a lot of parents who just talked constantly about the different ways that they wanted to try to give their child a better experience. I, I don't want to say that too critically, but I would just stress that I definitely do think that there is a point at which it can become neurotic. I mean, there were people spending like crazy amounts of money on stuff, you know, like 20 pounds for a pack of crayons that are so organic that you can eat them and it doesn't do you any harm. And on the other hand, working class parents who are trying their absolute hardest, they don't need to be told that there's an important phase in their children's lives, but there are limitations to what they can achieve because of the pressure to work. Uh, wind up feeling guilty if you put too much pressure on them. You know, they know it's important. It's not that they don't know and it's not that they're not trying. It's about the pressure of having to work, especially in an economy that as the years go by uh, includes increasing amounts of uncertainty. People who work zero hours contracts who can be called upon to work at short notice or are living in a status of job insecurity, etc., etc. So this got me thinking and I was kind of just sort of wondering, I was asking myself, okay, Kate's picked a good area where, you know, something does need to be done. So what can she actually do? And I thought about it and I thought about it and I thought about it. And in the end, I just kind of thought, do you know what? Maybe she does actually just need to get political. And we always say she shouldn't. You know, we always say royals shouldn't be political. When Harry and Meghan have done it and they've been criticised for it, other royals have tried to do it. They've been criticised in the past. And maybe she would be criticised. But maybe, just maybe, if this is, as Kensington Palace leads us to believe, truly her life's work, where she really wants to make a difference, maybe she just needs to do it and take the criticism. Just a thought. But listen to this. So this is from an open letter that Kate wrote for the world, basically. Uh, she said, The early years is a time where we lay the foundations and building blocks for life. It is when we learn to understand ourselves, understand others, and understand the world in which we live. But as a society, we currently spend much more of our time and energy on later life. Now, I read that, and I cannot, for the life of me, work out what she means. We spend more of our time and energy on later life. Like, I was five for five years. I can't spend any more time as a five-year-old. And as a parent, I spent literally as much time as I could with my son. And I certainly don't think I'll be spending more time when he's an adult or even when he's an older child. I mean, like right now he's in school, so... Um, I'm with him in the mornings and the afternoons and in the middle of the day he's at school like when my son was a child we when it was a baby rather you know one of us would be with him all day um, so I definitely don't think that he there was a lack of time with him I can't really work out what Kate means by that sentence but then I was thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it and I took out <clears throat> um, in my mind that is the words time and energy and replaced them with the words public money. 
And let's just see how that sentence reads if you do that. As a society, we currently spend more of our public money on later life. Well, that is, that's true. That is, that's the point, isn't it? Like, that is exactly the point. It's not about how much of our time and energy we spend. It's about how much of our public money we spend. And so I think that this could be a really great project for Kate, and it could be a career-defining project for Kate. But there's just no need to raise awareness as far as I can see. I think everybody knows what they need to do broadly, or at least rather they know that there's a need to do it. The question is how, like how you actually do it. And this is where it does feel to me, you know, I just want to stress again, absolutely supportive of Kate doing this project and focusing on this area, but that there is kind of a big ball of nothing in the middle of this campaign, which is what should Britain as a society, or even America as a society, do differently in relation to early years care? Like, what should we do differently? And I think that is the question that Kate needs to answer. And I would actually be willing for her to take a step over the line and break the rules just a little bit and get a tiny bit political in order to draw attention to this area. I'm going to take one more quick break now, but before I do, a reminder to follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jack underscore Royston, and you will find all my latest stories for Newsweek. Now, when I'm back, I would not like to be on the list of depositions for Samantha Markle's libel suit, but I will tell you who is. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cash back. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hi everyone and welcome back. Now, Samantha Markle's lawyers have submitted the list of names for people they want deposed in her lawsuit against Meghan. So, quick reminder, Samantha is suing Meghan for libel. She says Meghan misrepresented what her childhood was like and she wrongly said that there was no relationship between these two half-sisters. So, Meghan and Samantha share a father in Thomas Markle, but Meghan's mother, Doria, is nothing to do with Samantha. Um, Thomas's ex-wife uh, is Samantha his mother. So Megan said she grew up effectively as an only child and Samantha has said that that's a lie. And Megan's case is well, you know, I didn't mean it literally. I meant I had the life experience of an only child because I grew up in a household when no other children lived full time. But Samantha wants to argue basically that because they are literally half sisters, what Megan said was untrue and was a smear designed to undermine her and also create a situation where she was less able to make money from a book she wrote. Now, one really interesting development that was possibly underreported at the time because there was just so much going on is that Megan, in her Netflix show that she did with Harry, revealed that she's actually friends with Samantha's daughter, Ashley Hale. 
um, and was on the point of inviting Ashley to the royal wedding in 2018, but only didn't because it would have looked kind of weird that Samantha's daughter was going, but Samantha wasn't. It would kind of have invited a flare-up of that very kind of toxic Markle family relationship. So she didn't go, but needless to say, she is interviewed in Harry and Meghan, the Netflix show, and she gives an account of how her relationship with Samantha broke down. This is Ashley's relationship, um, and she kind of turned to Meghan to have a sense of family. But Samantha now wants to depose Ashley Hale, so she wants to depose her kind of estranged daughter in a lawsuit against her half-sister. So if you thought that the situation with the Markle family was messy before, it has now like multiple dimensions of messy. Like I feel like the messiness is crossing the space-time continuum and now entering the fourth dimension. And um, yeah, so you're going to have like Thomas Markle potentially said he was willing to give evidence against Meghan. Samantha Markle is going to be risking a situation where Ashley Hale might even give evidence against her. Who knows what Ashley will say about Megan. Megan is obviously going to be, if she presumably, assuming it gets to the point of there being a trial, would give evidence against Samantha, maybe drawn into saying something about Thomas Markle too. So it's kind of a like Markle family Mexican standoff. Oh, and Samantha wants to depose Harry too. So then he's involved as well. So, yeah, I mean, I kind of think get the whole Markle family in there in that case. Why why leave anybody out? I mean, you know, just, uh, yeah, maybe they could all get together in a kind of saloon bar. Uh, maybe like, I don't know, at dusk and just just leave them to it, basically. Guys, sort it out yourselves. And on that bizarre note, that's it for this episode of The Royal Report. Be sure to join me every other week when we visit the latest royal headlines, embark on some royal deep dives, and riff on all things royal. Until next time, I'm Jack Royston. Thank you for listening, everyone, and a curtsy to you all. (laughs) 